Welcome to Invited In, a podcast connecting the global family of Samaritan's Purse. Today, I have one of my favorite guests, Aileen Coleman, a missionary who has worked with the Bedouin people in Jordan for over 60 years. If you haven't listened to Aileen's full testimony, check out episode 10 of Invited In to dive in deeper to how the Lord has worked in and through her. Before she headed home to Jordan, we wanted to bring her in just to hear some updates from the field and her perspective on the current climate of the culture. It's difficult to introduce someone who is such a giant of the faith like Aileen, but we can always count on touching stories and honest advice. This episode, we're going to dive deeper into lessons she's learned and how the Lord is working through her today. I hope you enjoy this episode. So I have Aileen Coleman, and she's going back to Jordan in a few days. Um, How have you seen the culture change in the past 60 years of your service and ministry there? Um, Sadly, not of it is is good, Hmm. because I think— the West, we being the West, have um, encroached on their culture, and the Arab people have had a culture f- from the days of Abraham. And I think it's uh, some of them are arrogantly uh, Bedouin, which is good, but some have been affected by uh, the influence of television, mm-hmm. which is bad, mm-hmm. and things that parents won't let their children watch here in the States, Bedouin children are watching. Hmm. in schools, hmm. some of these awful soap operas and stuff. Hmm. So, but other than that, um, Arab culture is Arab culture, and we're not there to change the culture. Mm-hmm. And that's one of my favorite quotes, as you say, we're not here to change the culture. Mm-hmm. You, you've learned to just embrace what they do. It's because uh, even not all of Islam is bad. Mm-hmm. Culturally, mm-hmm. there are some good things because a lot of Islam is taken from the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And so when you read the Old Testament, I think, oh, I know that. Mm -hmm. That's how we live today. Mm -hmm. So can you talk about how the political climate has changed and what it's like now? Um, Fanaticism has increased, but at the same time, there's an increase of moderate um, Muslim people who are seeking the truth. And so I think that is uh, encouraging for us because the Bible says if they seek they will find, or God will find them. Mm-hmm. And um, we talked. We just talked about how you can change the. You can't change the culture, and you're you're in. Can you tell us a story of how you've lived that out? They they use so many. <laughs> <laughs> I know. One of my favorite is when you practiced eating eyeballs. Well, that that was no big. That's no big deal. <laughs> the first time was hard, but I'll tell you one of the things that I find re- till today, I find difficult. They take goat milk because hmm. um, we have goats, not personally, but right. the Bedouin have goats, and they put it inside a goat skin and let it ferment. Hmm. And it's not just sour milk, it's rotten milk, hmm. and that's a great delicacy. And I remember once somebody gave me a cup of this, and it's even grow, it smells rotten and tastes worse, um, gave me a cup full, and I thought if I drink it quickly... I can get it down while I held my breath and prayed and drank the whole cup full in two swallows and they thought I liked it, so they brought me a cu- another cup full, oh. which I excused myself. <laughs> <laughs> which you've just embraced the people that yeah. you've been serving for Some decades. of the things we eat here in the West would horrify them. So, mm. Mm. Can you give an example? What would be something that... Roasted meat. Mm. <laughs> And what do you think is the best way to love on and care for people of another culture? We earn the right by treating tuberculosis 
and other very chronic diseases because tuberculosis has a horrible stigma mm. on it in the, in the Middle East. And so we treat patients who are unclean and uh, culturally um, unacceptable mm -hmm. so, in the culture. And can you just inform us about tuberculosis? How does it spread? Why does it spread so widely there? Uh, it's spread by droplet infection. That's coughing, mm -hmm. sneezing, or spitting. We mm -hmm. Arabs spit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, and with the, the Bedouin people, there's so much mal, uh, malnutrition mm -hmm. and uh, lack of hygiene. And so the whole family will sleep under one quilt mm -hmm. and you've just got to have somebody with TB coughing. And when you've got a combination of an infectious disease uh, with malnutrition and lack of hygiene, you've got a wonderful place for tuberculosis to spread. Mm -hmm. And when you're treating the patients, do you still keep them for a long time? I know it used to be about two months. Well, um, initially we keep them for at least two months mm -hmm. or until they're not infectious anymore. Mm -hmm. Right now we have a young Saudi man who's in, um, been admitted 300 days wow. because he's still infectious. Wow, so some take longer than others. Well, it depends how far advanced the disease was when they were admitted. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think for you, you know, because you initially were did labor and delivery, but now you get to work with patients long, long time and really get to know them. Most longer, um, some for a year, uh, as, as long as they need it. They get to know us mm -hmm. and we're able to um, get into their lives and let them see that we really care in spite of them being rejected by, by their own culture. Mm -hmm. And I know, so the audience can listen to your full story on our, our May 10th episode, um, but I love how the Lord called you. And I just, we're sending a lot of apprentices. We've sent out a lot of, you know, medical doctors um, this past, you know, couple months. I would love to hear just for those that are being sent um, or those that feel the call. Um, one of my favorite stories is when you came back to the States and you felt the call to do something and you were talking with Roy Gustafson, is that correct? And he yes. said, so why are you sitting in my living room? Can you, can you tell how the Lord used that trip to start this uh, TB clinic? Yeah, because um, Eleanor Salto, mm -hmm. is, who's now in heaven, she was a pulmonologist and um, chest, uh, her specialty mm -hmm. was chest infectious. And, and she herself had tuberculosis mm -hmm. um, when she was in the States. And so... Um, we left the first hospital uh, in which we worked for almost 10 years. And uh, we came back to the States and we were very, um, in the meantime, we got to know the Bedouins. But Roy Gustafson, who was a, um, an evangelist with the Billy Graham Association for many years, mm -hmm. I was visiting in his home and we were a little bit confused because we were convinced that God was calling us, but nobody else was. Mm -hmm. And so Roy said, well, what are you girls going to do? Mm. And so I said, we'd like to go back. And he grabbed his old Bible and read that verse in Ecclesiastes that said, who observeth the wind will not sow, mm. and who, ver um, who observeth the skies will not reap, mm. therefore sow your seed in the morning. And he read that and he said, if you're so sure that this is where you should be, what are you doing sitting in my living room? Just go. Mm. And Roy was a great encouragement to us over many, many, until he went to heaven. Mm -hmm. uh, he, anytime he'd bring tourists to the Middle East, 
he'd put them on a guilt trip and bring them to Mufruk and um, let them see what God was doing and then lean on for a donation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so for people that are feeling that, that urge, you know, but, but maybe they think the doors are closing because they either don't have support. He doors just says, aren't closing. Take the action. Doors are swinging. Mm-hmm. As I say, I'm Australian and I can crudely say, God is waiting for somebody with the guts to go in <laughs> through the door that is swinging. Yeah. That's why I love SP, mm-hmm. Samaritan's Purse, because mm-hmm. it combines the two mm-hmm. with relief and evangelism. Mm-hmm. And so it's difficult. Mm-hmm. It can be discouraging. But I think if you if you know this is where God wants you to be, it doesn't mean to say it's going to be easy, mm-hmm. but it's it gives you peace of heart. Mm-hmm. It gives you satisfaction in knowing this is where I've got to be. Mm-hmm. And that's where the medical care it gives you that platform, like you said, to yes. get you into that area. Um, but then, yeah, you can. And right use now that. we have patients. I think the other uh, I got a a list of patients last week. And I think we had patients from seven Arab countries wow. who, who are sent to us mm. because they've got what they call multidrug-resistant tuberculosis. Mm. So you get people from all over the region mm-hmm. because they need that specialty care and you can provide yeah. it. Um, so you mentioned earlier, but, but how can we be praying for, for your clinic and for your patients? I think... Um, as I mentioned earlier, the Islam is more fanatical mm-hmm. um, people in the country, but there's a moderation. So the pray that God will show us the people whose hearts He's prepared, mm. um, who are sick with tuberculosis, because mm. there's plenty of, of of people who have TB and whose hearts are open, and so we just need to know the the people we need to admit who we need to visit in their tents. And even, I know, watching the news right now and just the unrest going on, and I know there's been unrest. Forever. (laughs) Forever. Um, (laughs) Sometimes I just don't know how to pray for the people. How would you even pray for what's happening and the refugees fleeing and... and God knows. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Because humanly speaking, there's no hope Mm. for the Arab world except through Christ. And in many, um, many of the Muslim countries, people are afraid of Muslims, mm. but you don't have to be. They're great people. And so there's a terrific need for um, wisdom in evangelism among Muslim people and that we'll know the people that God has prepared um, to hear the gospel. Mm. Now, one thing that I would love to know, and maybe if we have time this, later this, this session, um, I know you wake up, you've made it a spiritual practice to wake up early, correct? Five o'clock. Five o'clock, <laughs> five to 6.30 years, your appointment with the Lord. How do you, how do you seek Him? What, how do you study? How do you pray? Do you know, I just, um, I've been through all the devotional books mm-hmm. of every brand, of every kind, mm-hmm. but I found that just reading the Word and asking God to show me what He says to me today Mm. from the Bible. Mm. And um, I have a great long prayer list, people that I love and pray for every day and people that I don't love very much and (laughs) feel I should pray for every day. And so um, it's just, uh, 
I've tried uh, all the devotional books. I've tried them. Mm-hmm. They're good, mm-hmm. but it doesn't satisfy me. Mm-hmm. And the only satisfaction I get is is from the Word of God. Mm-hmm. And so that's. I just had to ask because you are just so faithful. You know, you have stayed faithful to God's call over your life uh, through yes, the loss of your friend, through wars, through mm-hmm. times where most people would pack up and, and go home. But you, this has become your home, and these have become your people. I don't know how to live anywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> I know you've been, you've been counting down the days to go back. Yes. I know you had to, you had to come back to the States for some, some things, and you've mm-hmm. been working hard, but you are ready to go home. I'm ready to go. Um, but part of that is your faithfulness to God's Word and, and hearing it's, His that's, voice. That's where I belong. Mm-hmm. And that's where, I mean, I have good friends worldwide, but my heart people... Mm-hmm. Are the Bedouins. Mm-hmm. Okay. Can you share a, another provision story where the Lord supplied what you needed? Uh, when we first arrived in uh, Mafrak, uh, we were a little bit um, concerned of how we are going to make it because we arrived in the country with $150 between us. Wow. And we found a, a house that we could rent in, in Mafrak after we got permission from the Minister of Health, unexpectedly and delightfully, to start. Hmm. And the landlord-to-be said, I'd like a year's rent in advance for this building. And um, I said, could we pay it by month? Because we didn't have... And I said, well, how much is a year's rent? Now, here in this day and age, it was $1,000 a year. It wasn't a very wonderful house, but it was... Now, is that because you were a woman or a foreigner, or was that just their policy? That was just how it was. Okay. He wanted to rent this building because he wanted to build a house for his family. Mm. And they were, they were on the first floor of this building was a government office. Mm. The government was moving. And so he, uh, <clears throat> he said, you pay a year's rent and you can have the whole place. And I'll wow. move my kids out and... And so I said, well, what's a year's rent? He said, $1,000. And I said, could we pay it by month? He said, no, I need. So we went away and a and confu- little bit confused, mm-hmm. what if? Mm-hmm. And because we'd got permission to start from the ministry, from the government, and had no money. Hmm. And then um, some friends, uh, missionary friends and our man said to Eleanor, well, you got a letter from here. It's been here for days. And she said, um, she looked at it. It was a very official-looking envelope. And we thought it was a drug company mm-hmm. that had heard of us and were trying to sell us medication. Mm-hmm. And she just put it in a purse. And we that evening, she said, well, let's see what this drug company is offering. Mm-hmm. And it was a letter from when she first became a physician. Um, she was making good money. She um, invested several hundred dollars, Hmm. became a missionary and had no more money to invest, Mm -hmm. forgot about the money that she'd invested. And um, this was a very curt letter from the insurance or the investment company, said, we've been trying to contact you for five months and you haven't responded because we we were uh, at her parents' house in Memphis at first and then we visited friends in all over the country. And um, so um, we wanted to reinvest your capital with interest 
And they said, because you haven't responded, we're enclosing a cheque for $1,147. <laughs> so we strolled into the landlord. Wow. And he said, I knew you had it. <laughs> Thought it funny you knew. So it's been an ongoing um, mm. learning relationship of how, how faithful God is. Often we used to charge our patients about um, 50 cents for x-ray, blood work, medication. This is the outpatient clinic. Wow. And often we'd have to see what we made the day before, which was a few dollars, to buy the food for the next day. But it was always enough. Wow. It was always enough. Wow. And so that that kept you dependent in prayer mm-hmm. and, and even just, yeah, in the Word. I mean, you couldn't go another day sometimes. No, because we had patience to feed. Yes. And we had an integrity to 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 hold on to right. because people um, were trusting us and our patients were always fed. Often Elder and I'd eat bread and yogurt at the end of the day, but hmm. it's okay. Hmm. And uh, so... Do you think, I always wonder, like with Gideon putting out the fleece, you know, and how he, he asked God again, you know, and some people say, is that bad to challenge God? But I think he had the faith. He, he just, had the faith, but um, we've, we felt that God knew our needs because with so often we'd get um, a need met that God had already taken care of mm. months before mm-hmm. in sending people or supplies or food or rice, mm-hmm. whatever the things. Mm-hmm. So you just had to take the steps I think God understands. If we, if we put out the fleece, that's okay. Yes. Look at the wonderful leader Gideon was. Right. And God put up with him. Right, right. <laughs> so just one more time. Sometimes he doesn't mind confirming. But, yeah. you, but what you're saying is you have to take the steps yeah. of and obedience then you get and action the confirmation. and then yeah. you'll confirm it. And I love that check. You know, that was sitting there waiting. You didn't even know you hadn't no. opened it. It had followed around <laughs> for five months. It had followed her around the world. Hmm. And had she have opened it? Five months ago, you didn't it. need it. Yes. We'd have spent it. You needed it then. Mm-hmm. And so just to be faithful and take the next step. Are there any more stories now? I, I know you raised many babies. Mm-hmm. Um, were there any times with the babies where um, you, God met a supply or supplied a need? Um, I had twins. I'm not, I didn't have them, <laughs> <laughs> thankfully. Um, one way, um, their mother died in childbirth or soon after when the infants were three days old. Mm-hmm. And their father came to me, and and he was a poor Bedouin man, and he didn't have... There was no a wet nurse in the tribe because mm-hmm. often if a mother dies, somebody who's nursing a baby will mm-hmm. take the uh, orphan. And I said, I can't take two babies. And I was teaching nursing and working in the hospital and uh, doing the housekeeping and a lot of other things. And um, so he said, well, I said, I'll come and help you teach a teenager um, to take care of these babies. Well, one was weighed um, two, two pounds. Mm-hmm. The other one weighed three pounds. And I think these babies will not survive. And, mm-hmm. and uh, so they were both what we call frail babies. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... They needed a special kind of formula, just um, it's for premature babies, which right. we couldn't couldn't find. And um, 
some uh, NGO from Lebanon came, um, an organization, again, not Christian, and they said, we've had a great big shipment of this premature formula and we don't, we don't get into taking care of premature babies. Do you have any kids that need special, wow. special? I said, as a matter of fact, I, the lady that came, I said, come and look at them. Mm. And here the, I had them both in, in a, a carton. We didn't have money to buy cribs in those days. We'd cover a medicine carton with contact paper, mm-hmm. and it did very well. So I had these two little things mm-hmm. in one carton, two pounds and three pounds. And, she's, and so she gave me enough um, special uh, formula for frail babies that took them until they were six months old when they were, they survived. And... Uh, Wow, that's incredible. And that's where, you know, and that's where I just want to challenge listeners that I think sometimes they have the desire, you know, they want to do something, but they say, I don't have the the resources or the time or this. Mm -hmm. But if God's calling you to do something, he will supply that. It's like the the fish and the bread, you know, that's what we always say. He doesn't require us to do the miracle. He will do the miracle. He just wants you to give him all that you have. And And he takes care of it. I love that story. Thank you so much for sharing. I always love sitting down with Aileen. She's such an insightful, gutsy woman of God. Um, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Thanks again for tuning in and um, have a great week. Mm-hmm.